be with you this this morning. I'd like to say welcome to each and every one of you to the church gathered at Forest Baptist. Uh, to all of our guests, uh, may the Lord give grace, may he give you strength, and may this be a blessed time of worship uh, with us. And to each and every one of us, may the Lord just do something amazing within our in our lives and within our hearts that we would genuinely know and understand the depth of his love for us. That he did not hold back his, his best. He did not give us scraps or leftovers. But he gave us Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, who was and is and is to come. He has already demonstrated his love. So again, welcome to all of our guests. Uh, a special welcome to the Bishop family. It's good. It's always good. Good to have Ma and Pa in worship. Uh, my sister Kim is somewhere around here. Oh, there you go. Uh, her best friend, almost like my other sister Sherry. Her son is here. Got some cousins in the house. It's a kind of family affair this weekend. When you get family like that coming to town, you know you're about to eat good. Amen. Amen. Uh, also want to mention uh, uh, Brother Michael McGee. His birthday was a couple days ago, and he had some surprise guests come. His sisters came uh, to surprise him. He hadn't seen them in a while. Praise God for their traveling grace and mercy. Oh, one thing I failed to mention, uh, I praise God for my parents. You know, this year, uh, they are actually celebrating 49 years of holy matrimony. Holy matrimony. She, <laughs> mama shouting out 50. <laughs> but praise God for their faithfulness. Uh, to Sister Trauber, good to see you in worship today. Glad that you was able to make it. Amen. Amen. Indeed, as we head into this holiday weekend, this Memorial Day, where it is a day not to just uh, think it's the kickoff to summer, but, but a day where uh, we remember and reflect upon those who have lost their lives in the war uh, for this country. Uh, you may have family, friends, and loved ones who have served in armed forces in some capacity. Uh, may the Lord uh, give you grace, give them grace, um, as, we, as we remember and reflect upon the lives lost in battle. Uh, I'd like to also take a moment just to uh, give my gratitude for those who were able to help and to show up to our uh, community uh, engagement open house. As you know, Brother Alex, Tenenbaum, he is here on staff serving as our uh, community engagement director. And he lives in an apartment in the Norfolk area. And that area is, 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 is where the nations are. Uh, every type of, of, of ethnic group, language is there. And by God's grace and your faith, listen church, because of your faithfulness, in worship, uh, uh, in worship of the Lord, in the giving of your tithes and offering, we are able to uh, 
house Alex there and to give him a, a stipend to be a change agent in that community to to not create new programs, but to see where God is already moving. Do you know God don't really need us? Did you know that? God really don't need you to do what he wants to do. But what God is already moving in this area, and, and his job is merely to see where God is moving and to step through those doors and to mobilize the body, to help us to engage the community to be outward focused and not inward focused. It, it's easy to come Sunday after Sunday and just worry about getting your praise on when souls are heading to hell because they don't know the name of Jesus. So by God's grace and his faithfulness, he has made opportunities for us to be in that community. And on yesterday, we, we had a cookout in an open house just to... to to show the church and the, and the community just what's going on there and also to spend time in prayer. So uh, I thank you, Alex, and for everyone who showed up and got on the grill and helped and prayed and walked. And uh, Sister Cardell showed up and she was there for one second and the next minute I know she had her little gym shoes. She just walking around the community grabbing folks. Uh, grateful for God's people and their faithfulness. Upon this week, uh, the Lord, I believe the Lord just, he wants to remind us of his power, his protection, and his provision. So we'll actually be in the book of Isaiah this morning, but next week we look to return to our series of Why on Earth is the Church? Uh, that'll be next week. And I also believe that God wants to encourage us in the midst of so much chaos so much confusion, uh, not only in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in this nation, but all across the world. I believe the Lord just wants to encourage us and to remind us that he is God he, and he knows what he's doing and he is faithful and he is in control. So this morning, I would like for us to take a look at a well-known passage of scripture. Uh, this passage of scripture has been a tremendous source of encouragement to my soul, even the last few weeks. So if you would, if you grab your copy of God's Word, rather get the physical form or the digital form, and turn with me to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Isaiah, the 40th chapter. And please stand in honor of reading of God's Word as we begin in verse 27. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, beginning with verse 27. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is from the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon this morning's text before us. Strength for the struggles. Strength for the struggles. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, we do thank you for who you are. You are Alpha and Omega. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, steadfast in your love and faithfulness toward us. For truly, Father, you are worthy of our worship. Because the only way that we can genuinely love you is because you have already chosen to set your affections upon us. And for that, dear God, we just say thank you. Thank you for the blessing of your love, the protection of your love, the deliverance that comes through and by your love, demonstrated in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Who shed his blood for us on Calvary that we may be reconciled free from the bondage of sin, allowed to have acceptance and fellowship with you. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into righteousness. And Father, I ask that, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning, that you would give us new eyes and new ears and a, a ready and willing heart to receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, may you spur us on to godliness this morning. May your love bring forth divine righteousness within our hearts. May we genuinely love Jesus, not because of what you have done, but just because of who you are. Father, may all the song, sung, testimonies heard bring you glory, honor, and praise. And Father, I ask that you would use my foolish words to give you and bring you maximum glory. That you would use my weakness. That the power of Christ may rest upon this word. Father, please speak to us. And may we have ears to listen. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. One of the blessings of this past week, we were able to celebrate our youngest child's birthday, Noelle. She actually turned seven years old, and she, she is our Kentucky baby. Everybody else was born in Michigan, but she was born in, in Kentucky. So every time that she has a birthday, it just reminds us of our time here at Louisville. We've been here for just over seven years, and, and, and to think about where God has brought us from in a transition. You know, uh, uh, upon relocating to Louisville, we, we quickly saw a lot of differences between Michigan and Kentucky. Not bad differences, a lot of good differences. However, there was a few that stood out. One of the things that stood out in the differences from uh, Michigan and Kentucky is these allergies that we get down here in Kentucky. Uh, wasn't nobody thinking about allergies before we left Michigan. Ain't nobody have allergies before we left Michigan. All of a sudden, everybody got allergies. It's just something that just comes with being here in Louisville. Uh, another one of the differences that, that I speak on often is, 
is is there's a when in Michigan being the motor city capital of the world, folks just know how to drive in Michigan. And, and I've come to learn that knowing how to drive is just kind of optional right here on the roads. I, 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 I've never known that it was actually legal to make a right-hand turn from the left-hand turn lane. I, I didn't know. Just some differences. But also notice that folks down here like to do a whole lot of running. It's like a, a marathon town. And I remember we, we used to live off of Southern Parkway and like every every day I would just see a number of people just running and jogging and, and, and trying to get, I guess trying to uh, uh, get into good health or maybe they just enjoy a whole lot of running. And I tell folks, see, I'm from Inkster. We didn't see a lot of people running. If you, if you was running down the street in Inkster, usually somebody was chasing you. It wasn't because you just wanted to run. There's a lot of differences from Michigan and Kentucky. But as I reflect upon uh, just this, this, the marathon sense this, that this town has, it, 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 it takes me back to my days in high school on the track team. It takes me back to the days that I would watch the track and field meets with my father. He's a big track and field fan. And we would sit there and, and watch the races, the, the relays and the sprints and the 400 and the 800. And, and if you have ever been around a track or you are familiar with track and field, there are times that when there will be a moment when a runner is running strong. They look unstoppable. No one can get in their way. They out in front. And then all of a sudden, as they were running, raw, uh, running well, they, they, they hit what is called the wall. This wall is, is that moment where the runner, they, they, they can't go any faster. They, they, they've come to the end, the limits of their physical conditioning. They can't go any faster. As a matter of fact, they begin to slow down and everyone around them begins to catch up. As they have hit this wall. I, I don't know if you've ever been there or exercised. I don't know if you've ever hit the wall. It's, it's a terrible feeling. You hit the wall, all of a sudden you begin to get cramps in your side. Your legs become weak and weary. And, and, and you try to get, get your breath and you can't grasp your breath. Everything in you is fighting to, to run even harder. You see the, the, the competitors catching up with you and you're trying to go harder. But you have reached your physical limitations. Beloved, though, athletes may hit a wall on the track. Metaphorically speaking, there are times when we hit a wall in real life. In school, there are times where you just hit the wall. On the job, there are times where you hit the wall. In your marriage, there are times where you hit the wall. In ministry, there are times where you hit this wall and that you're trying to run harder. You're trying to go further, but you just are, are stuck and you can't go any more. Usually these times when you hit the wall are during times of adversity, times of crisis, times of struggle and difficulty. Think about it. You, you may have hit the wall uh, these last few weeks doing your K-Prep test. Hit a wall. You may have been on the job and have a new supervisor. Hit a wall dealing with this new boss or in your marriage the money might be 
funny at the moment. And finances are causing all kind of struggles in your marriage. Or, or maybe there's been sickness and death. Just the difficulties and challenges of life. And you have hit a wall spiritually. You have come to the end of your spiritual conditioning. See, beloved, the problem is not that if struggles will come, because we know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when struggles come. The problem is the Christian response to struggles. When facing the struggles and challenges in life, we're tempted to, to do one of two things. We're often tempted to begin looking inward when the struggles of life hit us. What, what do I mean by looking inward? We look inward by, by when I face a struggle and I face a crisis, I look to my own strength. I begin to look to my own ability, my, my own self-interest to, to, get my, my, get, to get myself out of the situation or circumstance. I'm not looking for help for anyone else. This, this is kind of uh, signified by things like, what am I going to do? That's the first thing that comes to your mind when an issue of crisis begins to arise. What am I going to do? But by looking inward, we will face quickly the reality of human limitations. We can look inward if we want to, but there's only so much that we can do. We can't control the situation. We can't control them. We can't control that. And, and, and as we are become frustrated that we can't change the situation, that leaves us here even with more weakness, more weariness, and more exhaustion because we're looking inward. Or another thing that we do is instead of looking inward, we begin to look outward. We begin to, to, to wonder not what I am going to do about it, but what are they going to do about it. We begin looking at people, places, and things uh, uh, for help in our situation and we become solely dependent on exterior forces and exterior people to help us in our situation. But beloved, if we only look outward, we will quickly face the reality of temporal satisfaction. We will, we will soon realize that people going to let you down. We'll, we'll begin to realize that that high doesn't last long enough. That, that as soon as I come down off that blunt, that real life is going to smack me back in the face once again. Temporal satisfaction can't do anything for my life because I'm back where I started at. When we look outward, we'll be left with addictions and even further and deeper brokenness. Ah, but beloved, I'm so glad there's another option. I'm so glad that there's another way. Instead of looking inward for help uh, during my struggle or and instead of looking outward for help during my struggle, the text of scripture says I need to look upward in the midst of my struggle and difficulty. This is actually where we find ourselves in the text this morning. We find ourselves at a point in the history of Judah where God is telling the people, don't you dare look inward. And don't you dare look outward. If you're going to survive the trials and the struggles that are coming your way, you better start looking upward. See here in the 40th chapter 
of Isaiah, we find the kingdom of Judah on the heels of uh, Assyrian harassment. The Assyrians have been harassing the, the kingdom for a number of kings. And, and, and lastly, the Assyrians have been harassing Hezekiah. And every time it looks like they are going to overthrow Judah, God steps in. They're constantly fighting and struggling. Wondering if they're going to depend on themselves or will they depend upon God to deliver them. And, and on the heels of that struggle, they are actually being prepared for a, another struggle. Oh, these people in Judah are stubborn people. Y'all don't know no stubborn people, do you? But this, this people of God are so stubborn. And what God begins to do is take them out of one situation and bring them right into another situation. They're heading for another struggle. See here in the 39th chapter, beginning with verse 6. God, through the prophet Isaiah, is letting uh, King Hezekiah know that you think you're done with struggle, but you are just about to go into another struggle. And in verse 6, he says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. From one situation to another situation, the people of God are harassed in the midst of adversity, are in the midst of struggle. Because of their sinfulness, God is doing something in their hearts to break them from their hold over this world so that they will only focus on him. But God is so faithful, even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their stubbornness, even in the midst of their hard-heartedness, he is preparing them to go into a situation with a word of encouragement. God still has a word of encouragement for them. Beloved, in the midst of your struggles, don't look inward. In the midst of your struggles, don't, don't look outward. In, in the midst of your struggles, look upward in total dependence upon God. If there's anything that we need to pull from the text today, it's this. God wants his people to know that those who hope is in the Lord will receive strength for their struggles. God wants his people to know that those who whose hope is in the Lord, will receive strength for their struggles. Look at the text with me in verse 31. It says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That's the key word right there. But they who Wait on the Lord. That's, that's one of those buts of the Bible. The situation is going left. The situation is going sideways. But God steps in with the word. And he says, you are in the midst of trials and struggles. But they who wait on me will renew their strength. That word wait makes all the difference in this text. This word means to, to remain in a sense of readiness or expectation. In scripture, this word wait normally suggests the, the anxious yet confident expectation by God's people. 
that the Lord will intervene on their behalf. When we see this, this phrase in scripture, waiting on the Lord, it is, the, it, it is not people who don't know God. It is the people who know God, who knows he's been faithful in the past. He's been faithful right now. And I don't care what's going on in front of me. I, I know he's going to be faithful in the future. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Ah, there's so much weight in this word weight. There's so much that's, that, that is, is, is packed with it. There's so much content. When God gives the word to wait, that means he's about to do something that's amazing. When God tells you to wait, he says, I get your best interest at heart, and I'm going to use you to do a, a work for me. Uh, this word wait is the word that God throws out to Abraham. He says, you may not have a son right now, but just wait. I'm a sinner's child, and he will, he will be uh, your lineage, and, and you will have a, more uh, uh, descendants than those in the sky. This is the same word that God throws out to, to Joshua as they're crossing over the Red Sea. He says, he says, just wait for a moment. Matter of fact, just walk around the city a couple times. Just wait for me to show up. Don't attack. Don't pull out your swords. Don't pull out your spears. You pull out a praise and just wait. I'm about to do something on your behalf. This is the same weight that God gives to David. Saul loses the kingdom and David is anointed king. But does he go right to the palace? No way. God says, you just wait. I'm going to put you on the throne. You may have to go through struggles. You may have to be on the run for your life for a while. But I made a promise. David, you're my man. Just wait and see what I'm going to do with you. And not only with you, but your entire family. There's always going to be someone from the lineage of David sitting on the throne. Just wait and see. When God tells his people to wait, he's doing something amazing in the back room. He's cooking it up. Y'all been letting stuff marinate all weekend to put on a grill. And you ain't put it on the grill weight uh, yet, but you're, it's waiting in the bag. It's, it's marinating, getting the seasoning all in the, in the cracks and the crevices. Because when God is causing us to wait, he wants to do an amazing and beautiful thing on our behalf for his glory. Beloved, God may have given you a weight. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with. But if you love Jesus, he's giving you a weight. He gives you a weight to strengthen you, to encourage you, to mold you, to shape you, to make you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And when we wait, we know that God is at work in our lives. But what's the problem? We don't like to wait. Oh, we hate to wait. Oh, you, if we get in the line and it's too long, oh, I hate waiting. I, I've been eating a grocery shop all day. I'm just going to leave my whole car here. I'm tired. Tired of waiting. Why you only got one register open anyway? They know it's lunchtime and people want to get their stuff going. We hate to wait. 
Let us find ourselves in a traffic jam. Oh, we hate to wait. We will we try to drive around everybody else. And then you got those people who want to make everybody else obey the law. So you try to cut past them. You know how they, they put their whole car to the side. We hate to wait. For many of us, wait is a four-letter word. But God wants us to exchange that four-letter word for another four-letter word. Hope. When we're waiting on the Lord, he wants us to hope in his power. God wants us to know that he is working on our behalf for his glory and he is doing an amazing work. See, we don't want to wait. We want deliverance. But God says you won't really enjoy your deliverance unless I make you wait. This is a, a cruel world that will wear you out. But the Lord in his kindness, he actually gives us hope by acknowledging the fact that we will face struggles in this life. The fact that God, even through the prophet Isaiah, says to wait, what he is doing to wait is to imply adversity. What do I mean? The, the fact that you are waiting on anything reveals that the current situation ain't what it should be or what you want it to be. The fact that you are waiting means that you want another expectation or another result to come from the current situation. It's not where you want it to be. So you have to wait. This is what God is doing to Israel. As Israel is is coming out of Assyrian harassment, about to go into Babylonian exile. Israel, they, they would face complete exile. That means that because of their sinfulness, God is going to remove them from the land. Another nation is going to take over their nation, and they're going to be uh, lifted into a life of servitude to another nation. We, we see this uh, playing out in the book of Daniel, how Daniel and his boys are taken to this kingdom in Babylon and they're forced to, to work and serve the king. When, when a nation is taken into exile, they're, they're stripped of all of their uh, identity. They're, they have to leave what they've worked for behind. They, they have to get new, new, new haircuts and new dress. They have to have a new walk and a new talk. They have to give up everything that, that, that was dear and beloved to them. They're, they're taken from something that is familiar to something that is unfamiliar. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. Even in the plight of, of a people who have been ravaged from a nation, taken across the waters and forced to give up everything that they knew. Uh, uh, this is what's taking place. Israel will face exile. They will have to work for their masters. Serve their masters. And obey their masters. And the notion that God's people would have to be subservient to a pagan kingdom causes consternation to his people. And that consternation is revealed in verse 27. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. See, the consequences of their sin is leading to their pain. And that pain is manifested in their struggle. They're at, uh, the people of God are saying, 
God, my way is hidden from the Lord. Lord, you, where are you? You, you can't see what's going on with me. He says, my right is disregarded by my, Lord, don't you know I'm not supposed to be here? They, they begin to question God, and the, and the overarching question, basically, they're saying, why, God? Why me, God? Why are you taking me out of, of my land? Why are you causing me to work for a foreign kingdom? Why, God, why? Notice. Whenever we begin to question God, we lose focus of who he is because we're too busy looking at ourselves. Look at the language. My way is hidden. Lord, it's all about me. You can't see what's going on in my life. Don't you know I'm struggling? My right is disregarded. Lord, don't you know I'm a child of the most high, highly favored, blessed, I ain't supposed to be going through issues. I ain't, uh, my right is to be comfortable, oh God. So why are you bringing up struggles in my life? The focus has been lost. They're thinking of themselves and not thinking about the most high God. Beloved, throughout the struggles of our own lives, we often ask why. Or if we don't say why, we... Like the psalmist says, how long ago, Lord? How long? We can be fooled by the pernicious, the dangerous lie that God doesn't see you. You can be fooled by the lie that God is not doing right by you. May we be reminded by the psalmist in 139. Where he, he reminds us that God knows what's going on. In verse 7 he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings on the, the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. God is reminding us. Though you are in the midst of struggle. Though you are in the midst of trial. He ain't forgot about you. He sees everything that's going on with you. And he knows what's going on with you. God wants to birth. A deeper understanding and dependence upon him in your life. And the way that we move forward in the midst of adversity is continuing to trust in God. I don't know how many athletes we have but in here. But you know that some, there are times when, especially in, in, in conditioning, that you begin to run and, and jog. And, and you come to that moment where you begin to lose your wind. Like, I, I just can't breathe well. But every athlete knows in order to catch a second win, you got to keep running. You don't stop to try to catch a win. The way you catch a win is you just keep running. You, you may have to slow down a little bit, but you keep running. You, you may have to veer off the, the path and not take such a high incline, but 
you keep on running. And, and when God is dealing with you and your struggles and in your midst, don't sit down. Don't say I'm done with God and, and I'm not going to read my Bible and I'm, I'm done with prayer and, and Lord, I'm through with you. You say, no, Lord, I might have to slow down a little bit, but I'm going I'm to keep on running. Lord, I may not pray like I used to, but I'm going to keep on running. I may not be able to read like I used to, but I'm going to keep on running in order to catch a second win. God says, keep running in the struggle. Don't give up. Don't stop. See, if we stop, what we're saying is that I don't believe Jesus. If we stop and say this is too much, I'm not doing it anymore. We're, if we are followers of Christ, we're actually saying I don't believe Jesus. Because Jesus, in the 16th chapter of John, the 33rd verse, he says this. In this world... You will have tribulation. Jesus himself said you're going to have issues. Jesus himself says you're going to face circumstances. Jesus himself says you're going to have hard times. You're going to cry yourself to sleep at night. He doesn't say it's difficult days. He says tribulation. You know, a tribulation would turn your life upside down. You thought you was going right and you wake up, you're going left. You will be in the midst of struggle. Jesus said it. So if Jesus is saying that you will have struggle, why do you think trouble can't come your way? Who is you? Are you higher than God, better than Jesus? Are you more special? But God takes the tribulation and he begins to work something out and he reminds you because the verse continues, but take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. God causes us to face tribulation so we won't get too comfortable down here. He's reminding us that earth is not our home. He wants you to stay focused. Israel had lost focus. They were worshiping other gods, following other masters. And God brings them into struggle, into crisis into tribulation to remind them who they belong to. Beloved, God wants you to know who you belong to. So to wait, it, it, the very word implies adversity, but this word also implies victory. This word implies victory. Look here, beginning with verse 28. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. There's nothing that exists that has not been uh, created by him. God created all the building blocks and material. He, he has created ex nihilo, and he has created everything out of nothing. And the ends of the earth belong to him. And it says he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What is he saying? God answers Israel's interrogation. They, they, they say, why God? Tell me why. So God actually answers their interrogation with revelation. He doesn't answer the problem of why. He responds with who he is. He says, I am the 
everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I, I, I'm not like you. I'm not like men. I'm not like those false gods who, who grow weary and get weak. I, 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 I'm not like them. But I know. I know what's going on. If I created the atom, I know what's going on with you. If I flung the stars in the sky, I know where your life is leading. He answers their interrogation with revelation. This goes to uh, uh, God begins to explain who he is and what he does. If we look back at the 12th verse in this chapter, in order, now remember, they're, they're not in Babylonian captivity. They're, it's going to be like another 100 years before they enter captivity. Then it's going to be 70 years while they're in captivity. So to prepare them for where they're going, God is reminding them who he is. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the, the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? He, he goes on and on talking about, you think I don't know? Then who's going to teach me? I'm the one who knows everything. Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? He says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. You think America is so great? It's a drop in the bucket when it comes to the, to the superiority of Christ Jesus. reminds us and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor, nor are his beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. God is saying, you are worried about what's going on and you're worried about your life, but I am the one you should be worrying about because I control it all. Love, he's revealing to us the isness of God. I love how he he he's just showing who he is. And the isness of God knows everything about you and knows what he needs to do for you. Because in verse 29, he says, I, I, now I'm all that in a bag of chips. Now let me tell you how I can help you. Because in verse 29, he says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. You see that contrast? God is contrasting the infinite with the finite. In your situation, what you have will never be enough. But I already got everything you need. When you stop looking at yourself, when you start looking towards Jesus he has every single thing you need in order to make it through the struggles in life. The power of God is what breaks in on human weakness. See, our victory comes from God. That, that's the best of all. Victory has already been won. 
It has already been secured in Christ Jesus. God says, I know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And if you follow me and be faithful towards me, you will renew your strength and receive power for the next day. Beloved, when you face the struggles of life, what is the first thing you ask God? Do you ask God for deliverance or do you ask him for more of himself? In the midst of struggle, we need to be asking God for more of him. This is what Paul prays in Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 17. He, he, he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of knowledge, uh, 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 wisdom uh, and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He is saying the best thing that you need is not a change of situation, but a deeper understanding of who I am. We see this in Colossians, the first chapter, starting with verse 9. What is Paul praying for them? And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He is praying that you understand what God wants you to do in life. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see that? And then right, right next, in, in verse 11, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. But verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power. When we dig into God's word, when we begin to faithfully seek after him, God is saying, I will renew your strength. To wait means we have the victory. But then lastly, to wait, it also implies belief. Because ultimately, to wait on the Lord is to believe the promises of God. As Israel is heading into Babylon, God actually makes them a promise here. And the promise is found in verses 1 and 2. The promise is, though you are going into exile, I'm, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. And he says in verse 1, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry for her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is promising them that there will be a day where I will deliver you from exile and bondage. And your sins will be forgiven and pardoned. Though you may not be in that moment right now. Though you may not see how it's going to happen. I'm making you a promise because of who I am. I can keep every promise I make. And though you are going through struggles, I am the one who will deliver you. See, it's with this great expectation that we have renewed determination. So in verse 30, so in verse 30, he, he reminds us that everyone will fall. Everyone will be weak at some time. No matter who you are or how much brain power you have, even you shall fall, shall faint and be weary. 
And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. To wait on, depend on, trust in, hope for, believe in the promises of God. Because it is through belief that our, our strength is built. Belief builds brawn. When we trust in, the, in God's promises, he strengthens us for the next day. What are we being strengthened for? Beliefs in God's promises strengthens us not just so I can have a good life. His promises strengthen us that we may serve more faithfully, obey more diligently, and glorify him readily. This is what God is doing. What promises are you holding on? Because God has given us promise after promise after promise that when we stand on these promises, our strength will be renewed. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. And if we really believe that, we know that we'll never be alone. That God is with, with us. He, he promises that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You ain't here for Satan just to run all over you. For this world to do as it pleases you. You are a conqueror. He promises that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Neither height nor death. Or things present or, or things to come. Nothing can say. That's a promise. He promises that he will supply all of your needs. According to his grace and his strength. But then he also promises that if you confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus Christ. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. That's a promise. That should renew our strength. These promises of God comes from our understanding of God's word. So if I want to be strengthened, guess what I got to do? I got to pick up my Bible. I got to begin to dig and say, Lord, oh, you said that? Oh, I believe that, dear God. Oh, and you said he has come to rescue the lost and the weak. I, well, I'm weak and I'm weary. You, you, I mean, you've come for me. Oh, you said in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You mean, God, you take any and everybody. It doesn't, I don't have to have a certain type of wealth, a certain kind of race. God, you, you are doing this, but, and I can be encouraged that God has made that promise. But I can't be encouraged if I don't know the promise. I must be in my word to hear and to understand the promises of God. What promises are you holding today to give you strength? Or are you just fighting by yourself? What verse do you have memorized that you go to when you hit that struggle? Because what happens? When you begin to truly believe in the promises of God, he uses the metaphor of an eagle. He says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. When God gives you strength, he will allow you to soar over the situations you find yourself in life. 
But not only will he allow you to fly over and soar over the situation, he's not, he doesn't just want you to fly to fly. He wants you to meet him and draw nearer to him. And when we receive strength for the struggle, he says that they shall run and not be weary. He, he, he gives us the speed to outrun doubt and despair. He says they shall walk and not faint. You will be able to have endurance in your life and your endurance will not fail and you will not fall when God is the one renewing your strength. Strength from the struggles for the struggles comes from God. Those who hope in the Lord will receive strength for the struggles because those who wait Wait, just wait, just wait, just wait wherever you are. Just wait on God, hope in God, trust in God. We wait in adversity. We wait with victory, but yet we wait with all belief. But when we look at this text, we see that Israel was harassed. They were harassed on their left, on their right, in the front, and in the back. Every single nation was coming for Israel. Why? Because Israel was God's chosen people. God's people will always be harassed. And then as, as Israel waited, their strength was eventually renewed. After 70 years in exile, God allowed them to return to their homeland. And beloved, what we see from the text, just as Israel was harassed, we are harassed. We are harassed by our flesh, by Satan and this world. Sin is ever present around us, harassing us that we would fall and fail. But just as Israel waited, we wait. And in the midst of our adversity, we wait. As we look upon the awesome power of God, we wait. As we press on with great expectation, we wait. But unlike Israel, who waited on the return to a kingdom, on this side of the cross, we wait for the return of our king, Jesus. Our strength is renewed as we wait on Jesus. The text of scripture reminds us that in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, we will be changed. And with the shout of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet, Jesus will come back for his people. The dead shall rise first and then those who love him will meet him in the air. And so we are waiting for our divine hope, that divine glory. But the news, the good news doesn't stop there because when we get to glory and we see him face to face, he will allow us to rule and to reign for eternity. And I believe, I believe, I truly believe that we're going to sing and shout that old song. And we're going to say, when we've been there, 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun. We have no less days. Oh, I ain't got to worry about missing out. We have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. God, 
know you're on vacations, but you got to eventually come back home. When we meet God face to face, we ain't never got to leave. We don't have to forsake that, but we will spend an eternity worshiping. If nothing else renews your strength, the fact that we have a hope and a home in heaven should give you the ability to keep pressing, to keep grinding, to keep moving, and to keep glorifying King Jesus on this side of glory. But beloved, this promise is only for family. This promise is made by Jesus to those who would repent and trust in him for salvation. See, this is a family promise. See, 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 when my mom and daddy come down, they already been on the phone with the grandchildren. They've already made plans. They going to Toys R Us. So when they show up, it's just a matter of going. What, 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 what God is doing, he's already made a promise to his family that if you belong to me, I go to prepare a place for you, a heavenly home. And when I come and get you, it's going to be better than anything that Toys R Us will have to offer because your joy will be in Jesus. When we see him face to face, glorifying him. There will be no need for the sun because the S-O-N will shine every single day. But that's a family promise. And we have to turn from living for ourselves. We have to turn from, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm, I'm going to make up my own mind. I'm going to be my own God. And we do that when we don't confess sin. We say what we want to say. We do what we want to do. We go where we want to go. That is not living a life of repentance. But Jesus says, those who forsake sin and trust me, who say, Lord, I am sorry for disobeying you. Help me to love you. Help me to, to, to live for you and to love you. And I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I believe Jesus has done what he says he would do. That's the promise of the gospel. Sin has separated us from a holy and righteous God. But through Jesus Christ, we can have acceptance and reconciliation when we confess our sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So, beloved, my question today is what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your mighty and powerful word. I ask that you would save one, that you would deliver them from their sin and draw them near to King Jesus. And Father, for the one who is struggling in their faith, I ask that you allow them to wait expectantly upon you to show up and to show out. Father, may they wait knowing that you said that there will be tribulation. But may they wait knowing that you have already secured the victory on Calvary's cross when Jesus declares it is finished. And Lord, may we wait knowing that it is your promises that will renew us and strengthen us day by day by day. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. May you help us to see Jesus. It's for your glory and for your name's sake we do pray. Amen.